Our reading this morning comes from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Terry. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from Christ, our Savior. There's a church in St. Paul where when people want to join, they don't have membership classes. Instead, they call them dismembership classes because they say, at some point, it's going to feel like this community is dismembering you. And there's another church in Minneapolis where the ritual for receiving new members in worship involves different leaders in the church taking the mic and making promises on behalf of the community. We promise to pray for you, one says. We promise to walk with you in faith, says another. And the last says, we promise to disappoint you. And then the member continues. But this is where the real joy begins. 
because then we get to forgive each other and heal and resurrect. These congregations want to be clear that church is not a product to be consumed. Church is a community that God builds through each one of us, flawed though we may be. And they want to be clear that success as a church doesn't mean that each one of you are happy and fulfilled. Success as a church means trusting that God is present and doing something when we fully show up as ourselves and make ourselves available to one another and to God. It's clear that the two disciples on the road in today's scripture didn't have that kind of new member orientation. They were followers of Jesus, and oh, what an exciting life they led stomping around the countryside, a new town every night, laughing as they listened to Jesus needle the overly pious leaders, eating and drinking and celebrating so hard that people would whisper whenever they passed. They threw every convention aside with defiance, and it was a rush. They loved the feeling, maybe a little too much, Perhaps they became too attached to how good it felt to feel this way. Perhaps they started to confuse their faith with their own personal fulfillment. Following Jesus for them became a guise for following the warm and pleasant feelings they got while doing it. And they got so caught up in chasing their individual contentment with Jesus that they missed him saying loud and clear that this was all going to end up with him on a cross. And so when the inevitable happens and Jesus is killed in a public and humiliating way, it puts a damper on these two disciples' search for individual satisfaction and so they leave. This is where we meet them at the beginning of the Bible story today. They are walking away from the community of grieving disciples in Jerusalem, this church that they have joined, because they don't think it has anything left to offer them. It failed to deliver their needs. They stopped feeling that pleasant feeling, and so they're moving on. But something happens on the road. Jesus himself comes near and goes with them. They do not realize it's him, but the resurrected Jesus joins them, and he asks them for their story. Why it is that they are standing still and looking sad. And it may be just that they have some time to pass on the road ahead of them, but they open up about what they're living through, and they tell the story that their heart needs to tell, the story of their disappointment and grief. 
This is a new way of interacting with Jesus for these two disciples. Before his death, they saw Jesus as a means to their own personal spiritual fulfillment. And they approached him as consumers and demanders. Make me feel good, Jesus. Do what I want you to. But now, the risen Christ has appeared to them as a stranger and they speak to him with honesty and without pretense, not looking to gain anything from him, not looking for that warm and pleasant feeling, just looking for someone they can count on to hear their story. Someone who can understand what they're going through so that they know that they are not alone. And Jesus listens to their story and then he opens up the Bible and gives them assurance that God is indeed with people that suffer. That God was with Jesus when he suffered and they are not alone. And when the time comes to part ways, the disciples realize that having someone to count on to listen to them has changed them. And so they invite this stranger to stay. And at the dinner table, Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them to eat. And just as they begin to realize who it is that is feeding them, he vanishes. And the two disciples are left staring at one another. Were not our hearts burning within us, they say? And so they leave that very hour, running on the dark night road, seven miles back to Jerusalem, back into the company of the imperfect people that they had left earlier that day. A community that couldn't guarantee their happiness, but one that could be counted on to share their joys and sorrows as they reminded each other over and over again that God was with them. That's why Jesus showed up to these disciples, not just to prove that he was alive, not even just to hear their story, but to guide them back to a kind of community where he would always be found. Since Jesus is no longer among us as a human, we look to these stories of his appearances after his resurrection. They were included in the Bible to give us clues to where Jesus is still present even today. And this story of the road to Emmaus suggests that Jesus will be found wherever people gather and tell their stories and hear the promises of scripture, and share a meal. That Jesus will appear wherever people are seen and valued, where lives are changed because of the relationships they've built, where people count on each other to invest in one another's well-being, and in the well-being of those in need in the wider community. That's where Jesus will be revealed. Places like this are hard to come by in our landscape. 
Most things in our country are driven by consumer capitalism, and you know the drill, right? You show up because you want something, and you pay for it, and you get what you want. (laughs) Your own sense of your own needs getting met, that's what's in the driver's seat most places in our world. You're busy and you still want to eat? That's how the whole fast food industry was built. You're bored and you want entertainment? Subscribe to any number of multiple online streaming services. You want your kid to not get left behind their peers? You'd better pay for that traveling competitive league. You sense that there's something a little off in your spirit and you want to just be spiritually soothed? Well, you come to church. Too often, we leaders in the church give in to this way of being in the world. And we think sometimes that our work is primarily to build a product to offer you, the consumers, that will attract a good customer base and keep our doors open, like we're owners of a spa for the soul. Is our worship smooth enough to seem professional, radio-worthy even? How's the engagement around our last social media post? Are people picking up on our brand? What can we do to not isolate the big givers here? And have we struck that magical balance of having enough kids running around here to give the impression that we're youthful and vibrant, but not so many that their squirming and chattering takes over worship? When we set out on a road to seek market success rather than deep community as a church, We are like the disciples who are fleeing Jerusalem today. Because we all want, under those circumstances, a community that works for us, rather than a community where we work with others. And praise be to God when we think like that, when we walk down that road, Jesus himself comes near opens our eyes in resurrection love, and leads us back to the glorious mess of a community that learns to count on one another. We are learning to be that kind of church at Mount Olivet, a church that knows that community isn't transactional, that church isn't a product that we consume. We are learning to be a church that believes that community that is something that God is building through each one of us when we show up honestly, give of our full selves, and accompany one another in the joys and troubles of life with the hope and expectation that God is doing something among us and through us. After reading a story like The Road to Emmaus, I want to say this, I don't want this to be a church where you come because it's convenient or where you come because the people seem nice or because you've always come here or even because you like the sermons. I don't want this to be a church where you sit back and the pastors and musicians perform for you and hopefully we say something that strokes your soul and then you leave us a positive review on Yelp. 
I want Mount Olivet to be a place you come because you sense that God is calling you here, that you are being changed by the God you encounter here, the God who appears in scripture and water and bread and wine, but also the God who appears alongside you on every road you are walking in your lives, and the God who appears in the space and the connections between you and the people around you in the pews. The good news is God is already doing this to us. God is already making us into this kind of church. A church where what counts isn't whether or not you feel pleasant because you hear, but a church where what counts is how we count on one another. In November, we are featuring the stories of Mount Olivet members as we talk about how we invest in God's mission working through this congregation at Mount Olivet. And today, we're going to watch a video from a couple who has counted on others in their lives and now counts on this church to be there for others. So let's watch together. kids by the time we were 16 and uh, we were on public assistance and there was uh, one memory that I have is we did not have any food to eat other than we had some uh, spaghetti noodles and some strawberry jam that Sheila's grandmother made so we had strawberry spaghetti so every now and again I always think of that because of our humble beginnings. We've been members of Mount Olivet for about a year and a half. We came for the uh, Blues, Brews, and Barbecue event uh, a number of years ago and uh, started attending church services here and uh, felt uh, a nice uh, fit with the community here. Mount Olivet is very welcoming. Uh, they open the doors to a diverse congregation. We know that our donations are going to good causes. We know that firsthand. Giving is the first, first line item of our budget every month. We, we do a budget every month, and that's the first thing that we, we do is our contributions uh, to Mount Olivet. Um, that is, uh, as the Bible said, you know, we give off the fr first fruits of your, of your earnings. So we are trying to walk alongside of our faith and uh, be good stewards of what we've been blessed with. Sheila and I, we've been together as we started out as teenage parents. We've been through all the struggles. We've been in areas where, uh, where we had to uh, be on public assistance and we worked our butts off to get off public assistance and we've worked multiple jobs. And we like the, the fact that when we are giving at Mount Olivet, it uh, feels like we're giving back to where we started. It's a good feeling to give. We know what it's like to not have. And so it makes me feel good knowing that our money that we give to the church is going for, you know, the better good of the community. 
I count on Mount Olivet for community. I count on Mount Olivet for faith and support. Amen.